Welcome to the History of European Theatre podcast, and thanks for joining me on this journey through millennia of theatrical history. I often find that when I think I've finished with a podcast season, that there are stories that I've come across too late or didn't quite fit in with the narrative I was crafting, or were just a bit too odd or out there to be part of the main season. Some of those items have turned up as members' episodes on Patreon, which you can sign up for at a very reasonable monthly fee, which goes towards the costs of producing the podcast. But this one, I thought, I would put out for you all to hear as a bonus episode, to pass the time between seasons. The complete storyline straight well outside the Renaissance period, and this is really just one coda of many to the story of the European Renaissance theatre. But it tells us a lot about Spanish culture, and something of that country's more recent turbulent history. Here is the story of the afterlife of the great playwright Pedro Calderón de la Barca. Not too many of us get an afterlife, at least not one that involves a reappearance in this world. You pretty much have to be a saint or a king, a president or a national hero of some kind to get that dubious honour. As one of the greatest Spanish playwrights, Calderón de la Barca fulfills at least some of those criteria, well, just about anyway. The strange thing is that a post-mortem journey for the well-regarded, the celebrities of their age, seems almost common in Spain, and yet the Spanish don't seem to be very good at keeping track of their deceased favoured children. One might even say they appear careless in that regard. Let me explain. Many Spaniards would agree that Calderón has national status, but I would guess that many of their fellow countrymen are in fact not much aware of his work, if at all, or knowledgeable about the details of his life. His star has faded. Like many Renaissance writers and composers, their work just not quite touching the modern audience enough for them to remain large in the popular imagination. And of course, Lupe de Vega and Miguel de Cervantes take the majority of the spotlight from that period, and others fade in their shadows. But I would like to think that, having made it through the episodes on the Renaissance European theatre, you know that he is worthy of an exalted position, along with those other writers and artists. And this is not just a Spanish fame. Samuel Pepys, the great English diarist and naval administrator, recorded seeing some of his plays in 1667 in very free English translations. And, more than a century later, Romantic poet Percy Bysshe Shelley translated large sections of the prose drama The Wonder-Working Magician. Calderón de la Barca, who you will remember from episode 77, was a soldier and a priest and one of the greatest dramatists of the Spanish Golden Age. Many would argue that his work is second only to that of Lupe de Vega. He had an exciting life, which I can remind you of briefly here. Born in 1600, that life spanned all but 20 years of that century. He was the son of a well-to-do family with connections to the royal household, but the loss of his mother at a young age and his father soon after left him in the care of a difficult stepmother, and more or less impoverished. However, he prospered at school and through grants, scholarships and the support of relatives, he got to university. There he studied and wrote poetry and was recognised as a rising talent. But he also got into trouble, being fined for a murder committed with his brothers. Just a small indication of how violent and troubled life could be for young men in Madrid at the time. An early play was followed by military service in Italy, Flanders, Catalonia and the Spanish Netherlands. Aged 25, he was back in Madrid and in trouble again, 
through trying to help his brother in a fight with an actor, which resulted in a hasty flight to Sanctuary, followed by accusations of improper behaviour with the nuns there. They literally threw him out, but once again he got away with just an official rebuke. He wrote a play parodying the legal system, of which he had no good opinion, a piece that played a big part in the tightening of censorship laws at the time. He continued to write poetry and plays, and in his lifetime produced over 300 plays, which ranged through all the forms, comedias, auto-sacramental, zaruzelas, and cloak-and-sword plays. Soon he was moving well in literary and then courtly circles. In 1632 he produced his best play, and the only one that has lasted through the subsequent centuries, Life is a Dream, a philosophical piece that asks questions about how a leader should rule justly, how much free will the common man should and do have, and even about the nature of reality itself. Following the death of Lupe de Vega, Calderon was appointed to the vacant position of Director of Court Entertainments at a relatively young age. Despite the attempts of the king to stop him, he rejoined the army to put down rebellion in Catalonia, where he was probably injured or maybe suffered a serious illness. His health was never quite the same again. On his return to Madrid, his work took on a religious mode, in keeping with the times and perhaps his frame of mind, and he worked for the theatres and the court consistently. But his midlife was marred with family misfortunes, a failed love affair and financial problems. In 1650, he was ordained as a priest. He was working on auto sacramental for the Corpus Christi celebrations when he died in 1681 at the age of 81. At the time of his death, he was a member of a religious brotherhood, the Congregation of St. Peter the Apostle. He was buried by his fellow brothers with full ceremony in a church in the centre of Madrid, but he was not allowed to rest there for long. Over the years, his remains, which were housed in an ornate casket, were moved on at least five occasions. In 1902, a final move was agreed as the Brotherhood reclaimed their most famous member and brought him to one of their own churches. In a large and orchestrated public event, the casket was taken through Madrid in great procession to the Church of Our Lady of Sorrows. In a horse-drawn carriage, Calderon's remains were processed through the streets and at one point the procession passed the Teatro Español. This neoclassical building was relatively new at the time, having been completed in 1895, but it sat, and still sits, on the former site of the Corral del Principe, home of many original productions of Calderón's work. Actors from the Teatro Español showered the procession with flower petals. In the culmination of the memorial and a religious service, his bones were placed on a marble urn in a plinth in the church. And for a while Calderon was allowed to rest there, but in 1936 the church was targeted during riots in the city after General Franco launched the coup d'etat that would lead to the Spanish Civil War and some of the most brutal times that that country has ever experienced. This particular episode was the beginning of violent acts by supporters of the leftist movement that continued throughout the Civil War. It became known as the Red Terror and had a particular anti-clerical focus. Of the tens of thousands killed in the war, it was said that 6,800 priests were killed. Most of them died in the summer of 1936. Anti-right attacks were common, targeting the Spanish nobility, businessmen, politicians, and desecration and burning of churches and religious houses was widespread. 
Towards the end of July that year, that fate befell the Church of Our Lady of Sorrows, which was subject to a sustained attack from protesters and was destroyed in an arson attack. Several parish priests died in the blaze or in violence in the street that accompanied it. The church burned for two days and everything in it was destroyed with only its outer walls somehow still standing despite the intense heat they'd been subject to. At the time, it was assumed that Calderon's remains were destroyed in the blaze. The marble urn melted in the heat of the flames and his bones reduced to just a tiny part of the pile of ashes that was all that remained of the interior of the church. In later years, the church was rebuilt and a commemorative stone was included saying that the remains of the great playwright had been there but had been lost in that fire in 1936. But now, some doubt has been cast on exactly what did happen to the bones of Calderón de la Barca. Pablo Sánchez Garrido from Madrid's San Paolo University was intrigued by the story and not entirely convinced by the accepted version, so he decided to dig deeper. He spoke to the congregation of St Peter the Apostle and learned of a book written in the 1960s by a senior chaplain of the order that cast some doubt on the official version of events around the fire that supposedly destroyed the church and Calderon's remains. In the book, it's reported that, on his deathbed, a priest of the order said, don't worry, Calderon's remains are not lost. The priest said that he'd been present at the 1902 internment and the remains had never been put into the marble urn. That, he said, was just a symbolic act. The priest then went on to say that the casket hiding Calderon's remains was hidden in the walls of the church and that he could point out exactly where they were. But unfortunately, he never recovered, and he died before he could reveal the spot. Some efforts were made to find the casket in the walls, but they were unsuccessful. There is a temptation to think that this potential resurrection, if I can use that word, of the remains was simply an attempt to generate some income for the church. It wouldn't be the first time, and probably not the last, that members of a church have revived a legend in order to generate some interest and therefore some income for their particular church. Perhaps the chaplain made up the deathbed revelation by the old priest, but then again, perhaps he didn't, and the whole thing is quite genuine. Maybe there was something in this story, but if so, why did the order consider it necessary to be secretive about the location of the bones? Well, one suggestion is that the trauma of the Red Terror ran deep in religious orders and fear of a future loss of church relics was very real in that community and therefore some deception and secrecy was warranted. But it remains an unanswered question. The whole business could have ended there. But Sanchez Garrido arranged for ground-penetrating radar to be used on the church and its surrounding land. Research was curtailed during the COVID-19 pandemic when Spain suffered particularly bad waves of infection. But in the work completed so far, several irregularities in the structure of the church have been identified, suggesting that the old walls of the church could indeed hold some secrets. It's also hoped that adjacent homes for retired priests could be studied in the same way, as they too are thought to be likely hiding places. Our main aim is to find the remains, says Sanchez Garrido, but it is possible that they were burned or destroyed by the mob. Either way, it will be useful to rule out the church as a possible site. Research received a boost when the Countess of Asalto showed the team a small wooden box that was in her family's possession. 
It was decorated with the cross of the Order of St John, an order to which Calderon belonged, and it contains a key. This is the key that was said to be the key to the casket that held Calderon's remains when they were moved in 1841, and may well be the casket that they were placed into in their final move. The Asalto family are related to Calderon and were present at the reburials as representatives of the family, so the connection seems entirely plausible. If the bones were to be found in a similar mahogany box to the one that holds the key and can be opened by that key, well then, their authenticity would be beyond doubt. If bones are recovered, then there is another way that their authenticity can be tested. During the first reinterment, a finger bone was removed from the casket and is now kept at the Theatre Institute in Barcelona. DNA tests could compare the DNA from the bone with the DNA of living descendants of the Calderon family, which should again prove the authenticity of the bones beyond reasonable doubt. The current priest of the Lady of Sorrows Church is hopeful that the remains can be recovered. Besides the obvious potential for publicity and income for the church, he has been quoted as saying, It would serve as a reminder for the brutality of 1936. Calderon's body disappeared that year, but how many other treasures and Christian lives were lost at the same time? And clearly, this is not just about recovering the physical remains. It could be a launchpad to revitalise Calderon's name and his role in Spanish cultural history. His plays are no longer on the school syllabus, and his position as a major figure in world literature is, slowly but steadily, being lost. He is in need of a revival in his homeland. And Sanchez Garrido agrees that this is about more than just recovering some mouldy old bones, but recognising Calderon as an international literary figure. The two things aren't mutually exclusive, he says. Calderon was admired in England by Byron and Shelley. He also had a life that is straight out of a novel. He was a soldier and a womanizer who fought in Flanders and in Catalonia, before then settling down and becoming a priest and, pretty much, dying with his pen in his hand. Many hope that this project will just be part of a wider acknowledgement that Spain needs to take better care of its cultural heroes and to give them the honour that is due to them, for it is not only Calderon's bones that find themselves in this strange position. The remains of several Spanish cultural icons have been lost or partially lost. Perhaps most surprisingly of all, it's only in the last decade that the remains of Spain's greatest literary icon, Miguel de Cervantes, have been identified. In this case, infrared and 3D cameras, and again the ground-penetrating radar, were used in Madrid's Convent of the Barefoot Trinitarians. The order still exists today, with a dozen or so cloistered nuns living in the building. But this isn't the building that Cervantes knew, as it was remodelled and partly rebuilt after his death. The resting place of Cervantes was known to be in this convent, as it was on record that he requested in his will to be buried there after the religious order helped secure his release from Algerian pirates. He was captured while serving in the Spanish navy as a young man, and spent five years as a captive slave in Africa. His family appealed to the Trinitarian nuns, who managed to raise the ransom that had been demanded for his release and deliver it to the pirates. This all sounds quite extraordinary now, but in the late Middle Ages, ransoming had become a commonplace activity across Europe, and religious orders were often involved in the recovery of captured sons. On his return, Cervantes went to pray at the convent in thanks for his delivery. 
It was only a very long time after these events towards the end of his life that he wrote his most famous works. The history of European literature could have been very different if it hadn't been for these nuns. However, when the convent was rebuilt, the exact position of his body was lost. The recent search identified 33 alcoves where the bones could have been placed, and then part of a casket showing the author's initials was discovered in the crypt. It was believed that identification of the bones would be easy, because Cervantes had been shot in the chest while serving in the navy, and lost the use of his left hand when he was 24. Both events, it was assumed, would have left marks on his skeleton. But in fact, nothing like this could be identified. Although absolute identification has not been possible, the age of the bones and the scraps of clothing that still clung to them have led scientists to confidently confirming that the bones of Cervantes, who died in 1616, and his wife, Catalina de Salazar, are contained in the crypt. DNA testing of the bones could be carried out, but unfortunately there are no known descendants of Cervantes, so no one to compare the DNA to. As well as the remains of Calderon and Cervantes, the remains of the leading artist of the Spanish Golden Age, Diego Velázquez, have also been lost. And the same is true of another playwright and priest of the period, Terso de Molina. And I can't pass through this sad part of Spanish history without mention of Federico García Lorca, poet, playwright and theatre director who was assassinated in 1936 thanks to his outspoken left-wing views that same fateful year that Calderon's bones were lost. There has been a long search for Lorca's remains, which are suspected to be in one of the many mass graves from that period. I will no doubt be telling his story in detail in the main podcast at some point in the future, but for the moment I can only hope that he is, somehow, resting easily. (laughs) 